Hello everyone, welcome to our discussion on sustainable wine, sustainable restaurants, sustainable hospitality. Before we start, a couple of brief introductions about the organising organisations. I work with the Sustainable Wine Roundtable, uh, one of the co-founders, and the Sustainable Wine Roundtable is a collection of companies, NGOs, academic organisations, and within the companies we have retailers, we have distributors, we have producers, and others, certification schemes, all in the wine sector who are committed to collaborating on a more joined up approach to sustainability globally. As you, some of you may know, there are up to 40 different certification schemes around the world on sustainability in wine. Uh, almost all of them seem to focus on the vineyard and the winery. And we want to talk to the full value chain uh, and try and develop tools and collaborations and perhaps a, a global reference standard to try and join the dots. So we're not seeking to replace any existing standards. We're seeking to kind of pull, th pull everything together, look for the gaps, and then create collaboration tools and a kind of global best practice uh, agenda. So that's what we're trying to do. We're, we're pretty young. We've only just got started. Um, and we have a, ambitious plans, but, but obviously these things take time. Whereas the uh, SRA has been going for much longer, Julianne. So just tell us a bit about the SRA before we, before we get going. Yes, great. Thanks so much. We're so excited to be here. And for this collaboration and to hear about the, the ambitions of the Sustainable Wine Roundtable because we have played a very similar role when it comes to restaurants and um, our ambition. We've been going, going for about 12 years as the Sustainable Restaurant Association and our ambition always has been to pull together these disparate aspects of sustainability and create a coherent framework so that restaurants understand all of these different pieces that that, um, that kind of tally up to totaling a restaurant's sustainability. And like you, we've never set out to, um, to uh, you know, erase any of the existing kind of markers or credibility. What we want to do is pull together a network in which all of those things make sense together. We work with restaurants with over kind of 12,000 sites in the UK. Um, and we also have restaurants globally. We're currently looking at post-COVID, how do you make this framework and this um, conversation we've been having for the last decade here in the UK more available to restaurants around the world and are excited about the fact that um, this collaboration ties in such an important part of gastronomy, that wine list and that aspect of um, of drinks and how do we how do we ensure that when we are talking about sustainability in wine we are looking at the whole value chain like Toby said and having a kind of rounded conversation about what it means to procure wine sustainably so we're really excited to be here and join this conversation thank you we clearly have much to learn uh, from you guys and for those of you uh, watching listening we hope you'll join us and joining the conversation later with some ideas as to how we can collaborate better with uh, the SRA. We've already had sommeliers contacting us, wanting to have a kind of sommeliers group on sustainability. Um, and as always with these things, there's so much you can do, but there's only so much you can do. So we have to work out how to prioritize. We'd love to get your thoughts on that. But let's get our other speakers to introduce themselves and then we'll ask them to, to, to make some comments on the topic at hand. Uh, Marta, why don't you go next? Thanks, Thanks a lot, Jane. Oh, I'm sorry to interrupt. Whoever is not on mute, go on mute, please. So everybody on mute except for Marta. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Sobi. Oh, this is Marta from Alliance Wine. I work as a winemaker and sustainability manager. We have recently started off to implement our sustainability strategy, which uh, we are really proud of. And we are funding members of the Sustainable Wine Roundtable uh, because we strongly believe that this is the best way for us to follow the right path in terms of sustainability, and uh, we are delighted to be part of this uh, season today. Great, thank you. Bethany, tell us about yourself and Apricity. Hello, so my name is Beth, and I'm the general manager of Apricity, which is in a brand new restaurant. We've been open a month now, and we're very sustainably focused. So not only is our wine as sustainable as it can be, but the drinks, the food, um, how we run everything operationally as well. So um, I'm sure I'll go into more detail. Um, before that, um, the owner and I ran um, a restaurant called Treadwells, and we've won a Green Michelin star as well. So doing something right, hopefully. <laughs> Thank you, Muriel. Oh, hello, everyone. My name is Muriel. I'm the managing director of Sustainable Wine Solution. So basically, we import and distribute wines in a zero waste format. 
which means that we import wines in small bulk and we bottle it and keg it in the UK. We supply the on-trade, so bar, hotel, restaurants, and we are able to offer a delivery service with absolutely zero packaging. So basically, our model is all about the circular economy, and we want to show that it is possible to look at um, a new supply chain. That's about it for me. Great, thank you. Well, we look forward to talking about some more practical examples from what you've been doing um, mm -hmm. over the last few years, Muriel, in a bit. But Marta, let me come to you first, and then and then maybe Julianne and, and Bethany. Our, our first point was really to talk about what are the, some of the sustainability issues at play when designing a wine list and um, there's a lot more to discuss and you can all address any of the points we put out there but Marta let me turn to you first to see if you have some initial comments around that or any of the other points. Yeah thanks Toby. Yeah um, this is something that happens recently to me uh, at the company. I had the feeling that uh, the biggest issue that we face when it comes to design a wine list uh, in terms of sustainability is that the concept is quite difficult to understand, not only for the consumer, but also for the entree people. So people most of the time um, think about sustainability as being organic, and which is great, but it's just one of the steps on the list. And I think that it, it, there is a lack of clarity in order to explain better the concept and help the consumer to understand the concept better. Yes. So uh, what do we do about that, Marta? <laughs> uh, well, um, use the work of the SWR and the SRA, I suppose, to, to good use over time. Yeah. You... For me, I, mean, I think they need to find something easygoing in order to explain. First, the consumer and also employees you know, in the entry channel. I think that we need to simplify the concept. We need to find a way to have a common language among people and uh, try to give it some visibility in a practical way. Definitely. I don't know. I don't have the answer, the proper answer for that, how we can implement you know, in the in the on-trade channel. But I think that we need to find a, a way to simplify the concept and help people to understand in an easier going way, I would say. Yes, absolutely. I'm sure Julianne has some comments on that. So I'll pass over to her and then I'm sure Beth does as well. In the meantime, I'm going to put a little image up which you can download, which shows you the confusion you sometimes see on wine menus. It's my favorite picture about wine confusion. So I'm going to drop that into the chat while we hear from Julianne. So, I mean, I think, I think you know, it, it's a very similar conversation to what we have had about restaurants, right? There are a lot of competing issues that are, that are um, all sustainability issues in their own right. And if you look back 10 years, when we started doing this work, a lot of people would, would say we're a sustainable restaurant because we source farm to table and they would only be thinking or, our, or you know, to use the exact parallel that you used, our, our ingredients are organic. And they would only be thinking about this one piece of the puzzle. And we need to, um, we need to you know, emphasize the idea that you know, organics is, is, is brilliant. Farming methods are incredibly important, but there's also more to the story um, that we need to address. And I think, you know, Muriel, you guys offer such an interesting solution talking about sustainability in almost a different way, because you're talking about the circularity of packaging, which is so essential as well, when you're talking about the impact of the wine sector. So pulling together the fact that, um, you know, similarly with food, there are there is a myriad of issues. The farming of the of the ingredient of the grape is one piece of the sustainability puzzle. But there is a lot of other markers along the value chain that need to be collected and, and discussed and shared. And the consumer should should care about those those things as well. Yeah, it's definitely a long journey. Um, Muriel, before we come to you and talk about your specific solutions, uh, Beth, Beth, what are your thoughts on this or any other of the points? Yeah, so I've recently, uh, sorry, I've uh, just written a wine list. Um, so it's quite, I've got like a practical kind of example of what I did. And um, to me, to go to jump to the second point first, kind of like what is sustainable wine? So it's kind of exactly what you're saying. It's, you know, how do they treat the soil? How are they, you know, what's their energy usage in the vineyard? But it's also, what is the packaging? How is it getting to the UK? How is it getting to the restaurant? So my 
um, house wine is a bag and box wine. Um, at Treadwells, uh, previously, we did use tap wine um, as well. We just don't have the space here to do it. And there was kind of a lot of pushback from guests, especially when they order a bottle of wine and I kind of bring a carafe with no label and they go, here's your wine. And they're like, that's not what I ordered. Um, so there is kind of that education. And then as soon as you explain to people that, the quality of the wine hasn't changed it's just the packaging is different and this is the reason we do it they are understanding but kind of like i guess what i found this restaurant is in mayfair and treadwells is in Covent garden and then we had a previous restaurant that was in hackney so in hackney you can just kind of put whatever you want on the list and people are like yep yeah, sure um but if i just made a kind of sustainable natural wine list here it would freak people out i just want to apologize Chair. i am in the restaurant so if you can hear some noise um so i've been really careful to choose kind of appellations and producers that people will recognize whilst having kind of a framework so they've all got to be kind of like vegan they're not using any um, animal products and they're filtering in the front they're refining and um at least they're practicing organic. I know it's very hard for very small producers to have the organic label. There's a lot of politics and money that goes into that. And I understand that not everyone can do that, but as long as they are, they're trying to do good and they're, they're trying their best to, to look after the soil. Um, so when you order anything off the wine list for here, it's sustainable. And then it just happens to be a Shabley Premier Crew or something like that as well. Thank you. Um, and would your criteria always include things like organic and vegan? Would you be prepared to look at a, a broader set of criteria? It might not tick every box in a narrow set of boxes more deeply, but a broader set of boxes more you know, coherently. Or would you be willing to say, no, it has to be organic or it has to be vegan? For vegan, it has to be um, because our menu is very heavily plant-based. We have a lot of plant-based guests. So just for the ease of the staff, like whatever bottle of wine someone orders, that they know that they can drink it and that we know that we can serve it. Um, as I said, with organic, I understand that having the organic symbol and having the biodynamic symbol costs money and it's and there's a lot of kind of procedure and a lot of the small producers won't be able to do it so as i said as long as they are as long as they're not just kind of spraying chemicals like real conventional farming monoculture you know if they are promoting biodiversity and letting kind of weeds grow then that's great as well so it's kind of finding a balance yeah great that's really interesting thank you muriel i'd love to hear your thoughts and of course now, you've been doing some really pioneering work in this space, particularly on the on the packaging side. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. I think you're on mute, though. Uh, you're on mute, Muriel. <laughs> it was interesting what I was saying. Um, what what I, we came to realise is that there is no one fit all solution. And that's something that I keep repeating because you need to choose your battles. And I think it's, um, and you need to look at where you can have the most impact. And we got really interested in the circular economy because that's something that we can make, we, we know we can make work. I mean, we pioneered wine on tap at Borough Market with consumers and we started 15 years ago. And where, when I say we pioneered it is that we were the first one basically to offer good quality wines um, on tap. And uh, winemakers play play the game. I mean, it was fair play. All our winemakers we worked with were either organic, biodynamic. Most of them were sustainable. Anyway, all of them were sustainable. Um, if 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 you want, but then again, there is my definition of sustainable, and there is someone else's definition of sustainable. But this is when where we need clarification, and I think someone like Marta with her expertise is someone who can really lead the way in that. Where we are strong, I think, is that we've been showing that you can differentiate between packaging and wine. And at the end of the day, um, we are choosing the, the, the on-trade because this is a market that's very receptive. In a, in a circular model, you need to be environment. People, your customer need to be um, environment, sustainable, sustainably aware. They need to care about it. Um, they are economically minded. So they need to see the benefit from a from a basically a cost perspective, 
Um, and it needs to be convenient. If, if, um, if some factors are missing, then you, you are wasting your time and their time. So I think this is why we decided to really target the on trade because, and, and then what we say, we say, right, why not tap? You can save bottle to, to keg, you save 25%. You can save up to 25%. Uh, it is practical. You have no wastage. Then, if you go, um, if you buy bottles uh, with a deposit scheme, uh, we deliver the bottle and we collect the empties. Uh, so basically, whatever we deliver, we collect back. So we deliver without secondary packaging. So all of a sudden, it's easy to win people over because, um, of course, the the you know the wines is is what's important and is at the heart of everything. And, and that's where we, it, it took a while for us to develop this model because we really wanted to work with all those small winemakers, small and big, but winemakers who were all natural or biodynamic or um, organic or, or not certified, but really cared about provenance and cared about their approach to, to winemaking. And in order to do that, um, that took longer because it, it means that in terms of processes and the way we operate, it's like basically running a winery in London. That's exciting as well. That's the beauty of it. And I think we want to show that it is possible to do it. And I'm not sure that people care more now than they cared before COVID. But what I am sure is that during COVID, people had time to think. Um, and, and, you know, we were all on the hamster wheel. And, and so um, that time that was, well, out not out of choice, but um, most people make the most use of it. And they are kind of like thinking, okay, what is important? Um, and sustainability is important. And they are, you know, they are being really receptive. So. Well, that's great to hear. I mean, I remember one of our um, members of a UK supermarket told us that during COVID sales of wine, which people would think more about went up. So organic, higher price, wine with a bit of a story. And then their customer research, and the retailers, I think, are pretty good at this, um, said that, you know, we're, we're staying in, so we're trading up, and we want something with a story to talk about at home. Um, you know, there's only so much bake-off people could watch in lockdowns, I guess. Um, and so that's quite an interesting trend. And, of course, whether or not that continues with inflation and all of these issues we have now it remains to be seen. Um, Julianne, you think, did you want to come in? Well, I was just going to jump in, and I think it it ties in with what, what you're saying there, where wine with a story you know both both with what beth said and then i can see in the chat here the the kind of note around carafe wine and the consumer sort of not connecting um that that carafe wine and i think what's really interesting about the work that you guys are doing muriel is with the deposit return scheme of the bottles you're allowing for an option that says you can still have a wine in a bottle and but we're going to make sure that those bottles stay circular. And I think that's really interesting. And I but I think, you know, when you're pointing to Toby, people trading up and I've heard that from restaurateurs as well, that ordering more expensive wine in in restaurants. Um, we were speaking to the operations director yesterday of Amass in Copenhagen, and he was talking about how now that tourists have returned, they're having more sales of their more expensive wine than they ever had before. And so I do think people are, are investing, you know, and interested in that wine with a story, but we've done a very good job at, at mainstreaming the story around natural wine and the importance of natural, you know, of natural wine and soil health and stuff. That's become more trendy, more mainstream. We haven't done as great of a job at telling the story about packaging and the fact that the largest, um, you know, par portion of the footprint of wine is the is the packaging and the transport involved in packaging in in transporting glass all over the world? So we need to do a better job at that. Uh, this is why it's important, but it's hard to do a good job when you don't have um, live data, data. And this is why, in a way, what we are doing is like a, a live experiment. Um, and and when you have on board, because like um, during COVID, we launched a bottle deposit scheme with Damien Barton of uh, Langoa Barton. I mean, and my thing, and, and with all the processes and all the, the equipment, the, the bottling equipment, etc., we're de devised with Damien. Uh, we, and because we wanted the bar to be high, uh, we wanted, you know, we, I, we didn't want to have a, a, a conversation about quality of wines in alternative packaging. 
in alternative format. So when you start with wine, with onboarding winemakers like Damien, the quality uh, conversation disappear. And, and then because he is on board, then you have more winemakers on boards um, who were not maybe that keen in having their wines kegged. However, now that the bottle is, is now that we are bottling, they, they are up for it. Um, and, and what we find is that it's true, I keep saying that we are a group of one at the minute, which is a bit strange, but um, it's a, you need to have someone, you know, you need someone to start, you know, and it turns out that it's us. But um, what's interesting is that over the last couple of months, we've been approached by, a, you know, first we've got now a distributor in Scotland, in Verarity Morton, and they have a sales force of 25 um, salespeople. We've been approached with another five of the main um, UK importers. And I mean, that's not because, you know, we are quite, we are doing our own thing. We've been at, at sustainability, at doing what we are doing for a long time, but all of a sudden to have those guys coming to us means that, wow, the market is ready. I mean, you know, and this is where we need to collaborate because, um, and, and that's where it's interesting to be able all of a sudden, you know, to offer a service and to make that approachable and to make that, so you can imagine that a chain of hotel or a chain of bars and restaurants that are interested in what we do. And if they say, oh, we are tied with so-and-so, we can say, well, actually we can, we work with so-and-so. You can, you can access that format, you know? So it's kind of like working together to, to make sure that in a way we work for the same outcome and the outcome is to really um, improve sustainability and in a big way and and in our capacity and and what we do is very targeted to the on-trade I mean some some other formats are more designed to the off-trade or to this or you know so that's um, sorry please go ahead yeah in line with what you mentioned Muriel it's it's interesting because in the last few months I have been in the middle of conversation with winemakers and winemakers that were with uh, with us, Alliance Wine, and they they worry obviously about the quality of the wine, but they start to they start conversation about eco design standards, for example, in terms of packaging, and they wanted to gather more information. They wanted to be more educated. They wanted to understand difference between using one glass or maybe a can. And these kind of conversations were not usual in the past, yeah. not at all. I never had this kind of conversation with suppliers before. And now every single time I have the possibility to visit a supplier, to be on site and have like a long-term conversation, they, they start to ask these things, eco-design standards, which bottles should I use? This label is better or worse? Martha, should I use dividers in the carton? So this is, uh, as you say, I think that the market is ready, but also the suppliers are ready now. And they, yeah. want, to, they want to do it. They want to implement in their wineries and in their packaging standards. So that's, that's, that's a good, that's a good thing. It's great. And I think it might have to do with the fact that you cannot find bottle, glass bottles in Spain or France, but shall we put it in that glass? I mean, that's such an important point, right? Because the cost of living crisis that we're all facing is yeah. actually going to drive people to make changes that, that were needed anyway. We need to um, you know, reduce our energy consumption, for example, and we need to look at processes. And it's okay if the motivation behind doing that is because they they need to save money. And you know, like we don't. I think we're beyond the point of needing to be high and mighty that everybody is going to choose to do the right thing because it's the right thing, and move towards the fact that we want to incentivize doing the right thing. We want it to be the cheaper option. We want glass to be harder to to find so that we we think differently about how we package you know yeah yeah and this is what i was wondering how do we join up the stories of sustainable wine or more sustainable wine and sustainable food better so it's not separate conversations because the food companies and the wine producers and the retailers always in the value chain at the end of the day there's a lot of people working in agriculture who have the same issues that they all need to be tackled and one of the things we're trying to do in wine is just to drive some very simple alignment from large buyers of wine of what kind of data they're collecting what criteria they're asking from the supply chain. So you don't have 20 different questionnaires and, and 50 different schemes, which has happened in other industries. Those industries are all kind of consolidated. That needs to happen in wine, but perhaps it could be more aligned with food as well, in the, or certainly with hospitality. How do we do that? Any thoughts? There's an interesting point there in that, um, 
you know, we've been having a conversation with the Sustainable Food Trust around their global farming metric. And <clears throat> because they're collecting more data, it's not organic certification. And yet it's a set of a series of questions to, to ask your farmer and to get kind of that data at a farm level around things like biodiversity and around things like soil health. And I hadn't really thought before that like alignment in those same questions that you would ask a, um, you know, your farmer in, in, when you're buying food and, you know, maybe there's something in that global farm metric around those same set of questions that you could be asking uh, winemakers and allow for that, you know, better understanding that actually we're, we're talking about farmers, we're talking about the same thing. It's just a different um, product that, that is being farmed. That's so true that. And I think also what um, it is also time to have those difficult conversations where, I mean, I come from a family winemaker. My grandfather was making wines in Algeria and then different kind of wines. I'm not sure, you know, I mean, but the the point is that at that time it was meant um, people didn't have problem in, okay, you know, we it, it doesn't. It's not. It's too difficult to grow grapes, so we can't grow grapes anymore because the market is not there. Let's switch. Let's be open. Let's. And and I think that maybe we need to start asking: Is there too many wines around, or what kind of product do we need? And and in saying that, um, we took a lot of inspiration from the natural wine movement, which I find extremely interesting more for the movement around itself than the wines. The wines are very interested, but that's different conversation. I think anyone who knows how to communicate about wine and, um, and lead, make young people drink wine is, is, is brilliant. And I think they had this kind of, a, it was so refreshing, their approach, which was in a way there is no rules, but there is rules. So now they are trying to put rules in place, but at the beginning to kind of like, let's go back to basic, let's go back to basic and let's play. And, and who is to tell me that this wine doesn't taste good? You know, it's like, and, and I thought, and then there are stories. I mean, and, and it's about the story. We are selling stories. And I think the stories that people were um, selling about around fine wines 50 years ago are different uh, from what, um, and, and so, in a way, it's like we need to make those wines. And unless people are willing to make those wines, then maybe they shouldn't make wine. But I don't have a problem with that, personally. We need so many things anyway. Um, yeah, I mean, the story of place and of the farm, that's what links food and wine, isn't it? Mm. And, and, and that's where there isn't enough of a connection now. I mean, sustainable tourism has a great role to play there. I do a lot of work through either business in sustainable agriculture at large scale. And the focus there with sustainable sourcing is, what's in, is in what's called the landscapes approach, where you have the same criteria for everything coming out of a particular landscape. So it all works together to enhance mixed land use. You think about sustainable tourism region, like Tuscany, for example, what an opportunity there is, you know, to join up the food and wine to tell the story of place so much better. But of course, it's an enormous challenge. You know, it's, it's very tough. I wanted to try and bring in some of the audience here um, and someone with the best name I've ever seen on Zoom. Whispers, together we can drive the change to everyone. I, I hope that's your actual name, Change by Deepole. That would be great. Would you like to come and join us and, uh, and say your piece? Because you put a great comment in the, in the chat. Can we encourage you to do so? Are you there, Whispers? Hello, hello, I'm there. I'm here, actually. Hey, is Sorry. that your real name? I'm... No, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's set up for, for my meetings. Uh, my name is Jimena. Okay. By the way, if we all switch to gallery view now, we can see who's talking more easily. Jimena, hi, where are you? I'm looking for you. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah, I ha I, my video is not. Oh, your video is not on. All right, well, um, here. Hi. Let, <laughs> the point was really interesting, and it sounded like something you should say rather than type. So, what would you like to say? Thank you. Well, I, I have some experience. I worked uh, here at a resort. Sorry, my, my lighting is not super good okay. here. But um, um, I, I worked at the resort here in Mendoza. I'm in Mendoza wine region in Argentina. And I had some experience working with logistics also in the USA with wine and, and people who made their wine here. 
And you can tell here, I see a lot of people coming from everywhere in the, in the, in the world, just touring wineries to learn how you make wine. And, and the same in restaurants, you find people, you, they want to learn things. That, that's the truth. Not, not everyone, and not everyone is interested maybe in sustainable wine or sustainable practices, but every little piece of information that you give out out there, that you take that opportunity when the guest is at a table and they're expecting the sommelier to, you know, to tell them about the wine, that's the perfect opportunity to let them know how every little step in the way or every small change towards a more sustainable practice affects the wine, the taste, the, the people who have worked there to, to bring the wine to their table. So that's, that's it. I mean, education is key here. And, and as Marta said, and somebody else also, um, educating the staff is, is also a very important uh, part. I, I've seen many, many different uh, companies, not only in wine, uh, also other... Um, other, I don't know how to say that in English, sorry. <laughs> but other, other uh, like hotels and, and other uh, companies, you know, services that offer, you know, bio soap or sustainable packaging for X thing. But then they change that every day instead of keeping it and, and asking guests to reuse the towels. You know, mm -hmm. different practices that the staff then doesn't uh, respect. So even if the guest is willing to do this, if you don't train the staff, you're getting nowhere. So that's mm. definitely a, a very important part. And I'd like to jump in if possible. Oh, sorry. No, sorry, go ahead. But I, I completely agree. And I think, um, you know, we've taken so much time. We took almost two weeks before we opened the restaurant to just train staff and not only wine, but kind of going back to the food, we know all of the farms and the suppliers that we get our food from. We have a supplier checklist that everyone had to, what the suppliers had to fulfill, which was about the farming, about how it gets to the restaurant, about the packaging. Um, and the team, so from the KP to the, you know, right up to management, everybody knows what those steps are. So if any guests ask, then we can answer those questions. But kind of going back to your point, I think what's super important about restaurants and hospitality is it's, it's a, it's a culture and it's, it's there's connections and it's very social and it's fun and it's enjoyable and we're a very sustainable restaurant but we don't want to kind of educate people all the time like you know oh you're doing really well because you're eating this and you're you've chosen the right thing it's kind of we want them to have incredible experience like you would get in any other restaurant and it happens to be we've tried to make all the right choices for you already um, so it's still having that kind of like that luxury and that really enjoyable dining experience. And then the thought is that they go away and they go, oh, that was amazing. Sustainability doesn't have to be green and boring and a checklist. It can actually be, it can be fun, it can be a bit more luxury. It can be delicious wine. <laughs> I think that's a really important point. And I think in 10 years of doing this, you know, there was, we we traded kind of early, I guess, on the um, idea that consumers were trending towards more uh, sustainable behaviors. And this idea that could you, couldn't you, if you just were telling consumers about the sustainability of restaurants, that, that consumers would, would choose sustainable restaurants. And the truth is, people don't, aren't, aren't selecting for sustainability in their criteria when they choose where to go out. But they are expecting that the restaurant that they've chosen to go out at is doing the right thing. So we see that emphasized in, in, in consumer data more broadly, which is that 80% um, of all consumers expect that the brand is going to do the right thing for them and wants to pay, is willing to pay more for the brand to do that. Now, does that mean that they are going into a supermarket searching for sustainability labels? About 10% of consumers are, but not beyond that. But Plenty of people are going in and saying, I would assume that I am buying this, you know, this premium product. And therefore, I assume that they have thought these things through. And that is pretty consistent with diners across restaurants that um, people get a vibe from where they are in a restaurant. And they assume that if you're talking about if you're putting all this care into the environment and, um, that you're sitting in and you're putting all this care into the, ingre the, the plate of food in front of you, that you have put thought into it. And the truth is, that's not always the case. And, and I think it's really important that you make that, that connection. You don't want sustainability to be about a lecture. This isn't an academic experience. People should have a joyful experience eating delicious food. And, um, and they should walk away feeling like that was a positive hospitality experience. 
And then just a bit better knowing that nothing that they did was contributing negatively to the environment or to, you know, people's livelihoods. Oh, yeah, that's a great point, Julianne, really. Sustainability is an opportunity to learn, isn't it? It's an opportunity to learn about complexity and about positive solutions and about enhancing people's lives. And in my other work in sustainable agriculture, I've really noticed the word regenerative has really, really helped in the last two or three years. And I was quite cynical about it initially. Lots of us were, worked in sustainability for years. We said, oh, they're just rebadging it without a standard. Um, but it doesn't matter. Um, as a paradigm, as an approach, it works because it's getting people really excited because it's a word everybody can respond to. Everybody can relate to it. It's much less subjective and much more uh, positive and forward-looking than the defensive term sustainability. So where does regenerative fit in here, both in food and wine? I mean, we, we can't not talk about it. Who has a view? And if anyone here from the audience, I see lots of you here, uh, join us, turn on your video, wave at me, I'll bring you in. Love to hear your thoughts. Who wants to go next? I can kick off and get us started, maybe as people then um, uh, get a little bit braver and turn their cameras on. But I think, um, you know, you guys have all been pointing towards words that that tell the story of regenerative, right? We've been talking about storytelling and both um, Muriel and Bethany have talked about smaller producers that aren't able to be certified organic, um, yet are doing things to sort the land and to, um, and to you know, take care of, of of soil health and those practices. And I think that the reason why regenerative has become such a buzzword, I'm going to be optimistic and not cynical here to say that it's not because people are avoiding um, certification, but recognizing that when it comes to um, to food and farming, we need to, the, the kind of obstacles around certification make it really difficult for small producers who are oftentimes being some of the best stewards of the land. And so I think regenerative agriculture gives kind of an umbrella term to some of that practice. And I think that it then tells a really great story to the consumer. And I think that links into the natural wine movement and the things that, you know, you were talking about Muriel about, um, a story for a particularly a younger consumer that that start who's who's telling me that it needs to be like this and who's telling me that that um that food or wine should taste like this and i think um you know regenerative agriculture gives an gives a a way forward to to be looking at that and i think with that buzz you know now is an opportunity absolutely for anybody working in hospitality to be making those connections in their storytelling and just like you guys have done bethany with with um you know, Pricity, you guys have done a really great job in the storytelling between the connections between your food, your growers, your wine, and, you know, your sense of place and the whole kind of deal. And I think, you know, regenerative agriculture is a framework to do those, to do that. Yeah, yeah. what the rest, of you, the rest of you think. I mean, for some people, it might just be biodynamics without the weird stuff um, and, and a bit more, uh, a bit more, um, a, bit, a bit more broadly thinking. But, um, Bethany, you wanted to say something. Let me bring you in. Yeah, I was going to say even even the words kind of so sustainability kind of you know makes you think of just kind of keeping something going, but we're not necessarily in the right place to to keep that going. And regenerative is kind of more positive, and it's evolving and it's moving forward. And I think it's way more of a it's just a better word to use for for what we're talking about. Um, sustainability can also seem quite kind of, yeah, box ticking and it's just kind of something that everyone needs to do now, but regenerative is creating a positive impact and that's something that we really care about. And in terms of like food and wine, so we're careful to kind of choose regenerative farms. And I say that because as you said, there's not like a, there's not a definition of what that is, but we choose pasture fed meat and we choose farmers that, you know, aren't just rearing loads of cattle, but they're doing lots of other things and kind of promote biodiversity and the same with the wines as well. So, um, yeah, it's definitely about educating people like what we mean by regenerative farms. Um, and to me, what that means specifically is, yeah, I think with biodiversity, with, sorry, with biodynamics and just going back to that, there is obviously, you know, a lot of kind of mystic and, astrology and all those kind of fun things that goes with it but the fact that people care so much about the grapes and the individual vines and how the weather system and how the, the like the local kind of system is all interacting with each other it's always going to be better than just spraying loads of things everywhere so yeah 
Thank you. Yeah, the um, the world's one of the world's leading wine writers on biodynamics, Monty Walden, who's great fun, once described biodynamics to me as half science, half bonkers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and it's really interesting to see how it was denigrated for so long, but actually quite a lot of it is just very sensible ecosystem management. Again, yeah, and it's, it just kind of reminded me as well, actually. So we had some suppliers in the other day that um, they're called Shrub and they take um, veg from the southeast of England, from farms. They bring it up to London twice a week uh, once it's been harvested. And they said, we work with biodynamic farms. And I was like, oh, of course it's not just grapes. Like you only hear really biodynamic associated with wine. And it's just like, oh, how can we don't talk about that with food? I've never, it never even crossed my mind that obviously plants and food are also can be farmed biodynamically. <laughs> yeah, you, you see it more in other countries. I mean, yeah. Austria, Austria in particular. Austria is so interesting, isn't it? Because it, what, the, what the history suggests is that, you know, they went through this terrible scandal. You, you all may be aware of it in the 80s, I think it was, of adulterated wine. And they're now the largest organic certified, I think, as a proportion and you see a lot of biodynamic food from those regions, um, partly driven perhaps by what happened in, in the 80s, I'm not sure. But it, it is more well known in certain parts of Europe, I think, than in the UK. Well, and I, I'm, in, I'm from California originally, and you know, biodynamics is, is definitely something that you hear more in kind of Bay Area farming and um, that old school organics movement in, in California. Um, and I think here it's just that regenerative has very much replaced it. And I loved what you said, Bethany, about just the wording. And I hadn't really thought about this before, but that sustainability is sustaining and keeping something going and regenerate regeneration is, is, you know, improving and actually, um, and I, and that's a really interesting point around a younger generation. We're no longer at the point we've almost missed. We're, we're past the point of it being okay to just, sustain where we are you know sustain the earth we now need to regenerate the earth and so i think that's a really interesting interesting point it's incredible how it's motivating people i mean just a brief anecdote we through my other business we did a lot of work with nestle and and we did it we helped them launch their regenerative agriculture strategy and every single member of the board wanted to be on the agenda Every single one. So we started out with one, then we ended up with every single member of the Exco had to have something to say because they all got so excited about it. Uh, and that was amazing to see. You know, that if the world's largest food company, which you know needs to work on their portfolio, shall we say, in terms of nutrition, if they're getting genuinely excited about it, not as greenwash, I think that's a great sign. Um, so we have a few different comments coming in here. Tonya, you were first. Do, do you want to join us and make your point? Then I'll come to to Andres and, and to Ellie. Tonya, are you there? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Toby. Um, my comment in the chat is is looking at just the broader definition of sustainability that we've seen in the last few years, which is very encouraging. But I'm curious, especially from the restaurant industry perspective, if you can talk about how you've integrated sustainability in terms of the social equity. Um, I wear a couple different hats, and one of them is working in a winery and wine bar and just watching the burnout, the turnover especially in the U.S., given how restaurant employees are compensated. Um, just curious to hear what you can share, um, especially to looking back at how the last couple years with the Me Too movement, with you know everything that's come out um, following the murder of George Floyd in the U.S., just how all of that can be integrated. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really good point. So one of the things that is really essential to us when we talk about sustainability from restaurant sector is that kind of holistic 360 view. So we talk about the um, the sourcing and the supply chain side um, and the, you know, the impact of the food because that's what we are at the end of the day, food and drinks businesses. We talk about the environmental impact of the restaurants, that's the energy, the water, the waste. And then we have a whole kind of umbrella about the social impact of the restaurant. And um, one of our key elements is around treating staff fairly. And I think um, for us, that incorporates both the compensation um, aspect of how do you uh, how do you ensure that restaurants are places with good jobs that um, you know that, that are compensated fairly, where there's growth trajectories, where there are training opportunities. How do you ensure? Um, 
you know, that, that equity. So we, we ask restaurants to um, answer questions about gender balance. We ask uh, in leadership roles, we ask about that kind of diversity balance of, um, because quite often you get restaurants saying, we have quite a diverse workforce and it's all down here and management is all up here. And so we ask about the balance between, between those two things. And we also ask, um, you know, again, about those both training opportunities uh, in fields that are relevant, like do you offer, you know, routes to sommelier, you know, training or um, coffee barista training and things like that, that would become, help them become more specialized, but then also other aspects of um, training opportunities. So we work with a restaurant group here in London, that's a Spanish restaurant chain who offers English language skills and um, support for all of their employees. And so showcasing these other aspects of, um, of training for, for restaurant employees. Um, and then the final thing that I, that I just wanted to add is also around the benefits and um, support that. So it's one thing to sort of say, uh, you know, what is your gender balance and all of that? And it's another to ask questions about what are you actively doing to enable people? So we talk about flexible work hours and whether or not shifts are, um, you know, whether or not you can uh, schedule shifts on a more permanent and regular basis so that it's not so ad hoc, which allows women who have small children to work um, more consistently. So you, kind of a set of questions, I guess, that helps that checklist, because I think quite often, you know, you've mentioned these two kind of social movements and restaurants don't always know what then are the actions that I am meant to take to make those things happen. So you might be able, you might be standing there saying, I want to be a more equitable workforce. I want to be, you know, I, I don't want sexual harassment to thrive, but I hadn't actually thought about the fact that I put all my employees on a WhatsApp group. And that means I share personal data of all my female employees and, you know, and, and so these aspects, so we have that sort of checklist within our treat staff fairly section that makes restaurants think about it more thoroughly. In line with that, I mean, just uh, Marte, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, and just want to add a comment because in line with that, it's interesting because for me, people are the heart of any sustainability strategy. Uh, at the end of the day, we, we need people to, to, yeah, to be happy with the idea of implementing sustainability strategies. And I have seen, especially, especially in the hospitality sector here in Spain, that they try to be more flexible in terms of a schedule. But the main point is that you need to educate the consumer. Because it's interesting how a consumer will be surprised if a, their favorite restaurant is closed on a Sunday afternoon because they want to give some kind of day off or half day off to employees. So yeah. uh, it's tricky, I will say. It's, uh, we, we need to think about how hospitality works, but how the final consumers see hospitality uh, in terms of service that they offer to them. Yeah, I've got quite a lot to say about that. I can kind of say what we do practically. Um, this is kind of thing that I'm most passionate about is how... Um, our employees are treated and I think you know, COVID gave me a lot of time to think like do I want to go back to hospitality and if I go back how is it going to be so um, on that note so what we do is like well for example our gender balance we are female owned uh, the general manager is a woman the uh, head chef is a woman um, so we are probably actually unbalanced <laughs> the other way um, and then we give um, the staff we pay everyone a London living wage and also we got rid of service charge because, you know, trying to get a mortgage or anything like that, working hospitality, it's almost impossible. So um, I didn't want other people to kind of be through those experiences. Um, we offer 28 days holiday like everyone else, but then we do your birthday off as an extra day and um, we offer one day paid volunteering so that you can, well, we work with like, lots of different charities and so we um, choose one of those for, for them to go and do. In terms of training, when we do informal weekly training once a week where we all get together and then we also pay people, well, we pay for um, outsourced training like WSCT and um, those sort of courses. Um, we have mental health first aiders. We have an employee assistance program where um, we pay a contribution each year and um, it, all of the team can access six free therapy sessions and free advice whenever they need to. Um, we go and have supply visits, supplies come here, we have a curfew, we finish at 11pm and we also open five days a week so that the team always have two days off. <laughs> great. Um, well, what a great list. Maybe you could, if you could, if that's available on, on, for public 
dissemination yeah. Thursday we'll send it out because that's a great checklist thank <laughs> you just very we've got 10 minutes left I know Ellie and Clara have something they want to say so I'm just going to say something very briefly on the wine side on social equity there are obviously different elements of that um, but from um, the most vulnerable people point of view we're developing a research project to build tools around migrant labor and vineyard workers and there's a big shortage already um, and yet most wine producers I've been to visit don't really know any details that much about their workers, including what else they do. And there have been some prosecutions for modern slavery in the wine sector in the last couple of years. And it's usually gangmasters, um, Eastern European, migrant laborers, passports withheld, recruitment fees, you know, the classic bits of modern slavery in, in, um, that you don't hear about. Um, but that more of that enforcement is coming for sure. And the due diligence legislation from the EU affecting any large company is going to hit the wine sector as well. Um, and so we're we're putting together just a research project, practical action steps based on what else is going on in agriculture, because other areas of agriculture have tackled this quite comprehensively, um, at least in guidance and tools, if not in full implementation. And then we're trying to put that into the wine sector and say, well, what can we learn from others and from what's being done in best practice? So that's a work in progress from the SWR. Um, and that's that's where we're starting out on those issues. Now, uh, we've got eight minutes left. Ellie, why don't we turn to you? Where are you? Are you here? There you are. Mm -hmm. Hello. Can you hear me? Yeah. Um, thank you. Um, just jumping back to the question of narrative um, and story, I'm really interested in um, how we tell the story around sustainable wine but also the packaging piece I think partly because we're um, I'm from Hawksmoor and we're obviously very meat heavy um, so we did quite a lot of work around the narrative on regeneratively farmed beef and discovered that the public were really turned off by terminology around regenerative and sustainable as lots of us know um, but loved things like wild and nature and re reference to the actuality of that biodiversity. And I just wonder whether that is partly why natural has taken off so well as opposed to biodynamic within certain groups. And I wonder whether there's anything we can learn or take from in terms of the marketing and the storytelling, particularly around the packaging side with Muriel's work. I think it's fantastic, but how do we make that something that customer wants to hear? I'd, I'd love to know more about kind of how we, how we tell that story as a sector. Thanks, great questions. Uh, who wants to go first? Well, I, I think first it's um, it's really important to to determine what we are trying to to achieve in maybe um, simple terms, and the fact that um, if everyone is about if it's about raising quality, um, and raising quality means getting more in tune with nature, so that's kind of like in terms of story story telling that that can work, and that's what happened when you kind of like discuss about the quality of the meat, the quality of the wine, we are all in there to reduce quality and reduce waste. That's a narrative that people can really understand and packaging come with that as well. I mean, it's a, um, and, and it's easier in a way to, to appreciate than um, to want to be truthful because at the moment, everyone is trying to define sustainability. And I think maybe we should stop, I mean, not stop, of course not, but until you have the policymaker, the academics and the private company coming together around the same table, we are not going to get anywhere. Um, however, I think that the consumers are smarter than we think. I mean, not that we don't think they are smarter. I'm not trying to say that anyone say the opposite, but in terms of general consensus was that we get trust, they trust us to make the right choices. And I think that consumers are getting smarter and smarter. And um, and so, so that's when it becomes interesting. And in a way, it simplifies things in a way when you look at packaging and you can tell the story on the QR code on the bottle. Like with my team, I kind of like we decided not to put um, CO2 calculator or anything, all of that, because who is right, you know? Um, and until someone has shown me that something is, is, is really 100% science, I'm not going to be behind it. However, when you have a QR code and that consumer, if they are interested, they can read the story. Why this? What is a sustainable approach? Why do you believe? Why as a sustainable wine solution? We believe that that particular vineyard is sustainable. What is their approach? What do they do? 
um, they can read, they understand, consumer understand. And I think with the meat in a way, I mean, or any food product, it's kind of like the same approach when you explain that it's um, farmers with nature and and uh, especially in the UK, it might be, might be even more complicated than with uh, the rest of, um, with Europe, France, or, or, or for example, because France is a country of farmers. UK are not necessarily a country of farmers. They are discovering farming. And I mean, Tobias mentioned what happened in Austria in the 80s. I think, you know, the, I was at the beginning of borough market after a, a massive health scare due to, you know, food and mass and, and matka and all of the rest because of, of um, you know, no respect for nature. I think there was a point in the food industry in the UK was there was no respect for nature. And, and I was at the beginning of this at Borough Market. I was so lucky to be there when all of a sudden the country realized, wow, nature is important and, and we need to approach farmers from a different perspective, like heroes or artists. Or, and, and, and that's where I think now the, the UK is leading the way. Um, okay, we only got a few minutes left. Um, sorry, Ellie, if we're not be able to answer all of your questions. But um, send us an email about them. We'll do our best to help. It's a fascinating um, set, of, set of questions there. And we'll see what we can do to get you some more answers. But I just wanted to bring in Clara in the last three minutes because you've had your hand up for a while, Clara. And, we've, and uh, we should have time to get in a quick point from you and, uh, and some quick responses. So, Clara, are you there? Oh, you're on mute today. Oh. I'm not sure if my microphone's actually working. No, you're okay. It's good. Yeah? yeah. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Sorry. Hi. Yeah, I'm actually, um, Ellie is, I'm lucky enough to have Ellie as a colleague. I also work for Walksmore, and I just wanted to briefly ask, you know, we, we've been talking a lot about um, that sort of sustainability overall, which is so important, but obviously, as a sommelier, I'm really wine-focused, so being a bit of a one-trick pony, um, bear with me. My, my question is, consumer education about these things is so so important and you know we've mentioned so many um times in in the past where consumer education has also led to a lot of problems you know there was the dispatchers investigated what's in your wine and everyone went what do you mean my wine isn't vegan and we were like okay now we have to start from a point of view where it's actually we're educating people about a problem that didn't exist and now it exists so my my question is, in terms of sustainability in other formats, is something I'm really, really keen on looking on. Um, service at table is really important, and there's certain sort of uh, theatre that people expect, and it has to. It comes in a certain package, and if that package is no longer sustainable, how do we start serving people wine and saying, actually, you know, this is this is how wine is going to be served? these days it doesn't come in a bottle that's incredibly heavy with a, a non-recyclable capsule or non-recyclable cork or you know actually if you want sustainability this is what it looks like and actually it's maybe not as romantic as you thought it was going to look so can anyone point me in the direction of kind of consumer education well I mean, or maybe I, someone's got an experience where they can share that uh there are there are some thoughts on that um, i did a podcast with richard Mountfield, who was with us earlier about three years ago that led to the creation of the Sustainable Wine Roundtable where we talked about exactly this. So I'll see if I can forward you that podcast because I think it's still relevant. And, you know, there are different categories of wine, right? There's there's house wine, there's wine that should be in a carafe, there's most wine in the world shouldn't be in a bottle. I think it's unjustifiable really environmentally. But that doesn't mean some wine can't be in better bottles and recycled and some wine needs bottle aging. And, you know, we're never going to see it all shift out of glass. But a lot of it shouldn't be because it just doesn't make sense. So... It's a story about that kind of wine, where for someone like Hawksmoor, I think you could make a good story out of that. It's a sustainability story, and it's a really good wine, and it's good value. And then the more higher-priced wines have a different story about them, but they often have a pretty low environmental impact. I mean, a premium wine these days that's well-farmed, I mean, they could be net positive based on their soil health. I mean, we haven't seen all the data, so we don't know. But um, it is very different in the different categories, is what I would say. And, and perhaps there's an opportunity to do distinguishing there. Um, I'm interested in other views, of course. Um, I just want to add. I just want to add in that this is sort of the role for you guys, Clara, and the the sommeliers out there in this is is changing the narrative from that theater perspective. And you guys have an opportunity, particularly in you know higher end, higher drama restaurants, where. Um, where your consumer is demanding that or where there is more of that 
you know, asking to consult the sommelier to have to start having those conversations. And I think what we want to see, right, is the same sort of um, engagement from the sommeliers. You then see chefs as activists pushing this narrative forward. And um, and I and I would say in the same way that we say to chefs, don't be afraid and 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 kind of say that you will only. You know, we have the conversation a lot about whether the chef can lead the consumer towards better behaviors or whether they're following the consumer trends and, you know, about meat eating, for example. And I think we've now seen a lot more boldness from chefs saying, no, actually, I can I can be bolder and guide my um, my consumer towards making more, you know, uh, uh, choices around their veg consumption or reducing their meat consumption or all of that. I can be bolder in how I approach that. And I think we want to see the same from sommeliers, be bolder in how you approach that conversation with, um, with diners in, in explaining the, the exact facts that Toby was just saying. We, we had um, a few contacts from sommeliers. Um, I think it's Watson Brown, who's head of wine for 11 Madison Park, was really interested in doing something with us. We thought about having a kind of sommeliers discussion group about sustainability and wine. If you'd be interested in joining any of that, let me know. There's always so many things one could do, but we might could at least set up an informal group if there was enough. We need three or four, really, just to have an initial chat and see where it leads. And uh, you know, we're happy to, to help connect people as we can. I'm conscious that we are out of time and it's better to keep to time, although we could keep talking for days. So thank you all so much for your time uh, and, uh, and your contributions today. Much appreciated. And we hope to see you all again soon, online or in person. Thank you and goodbye.